Welcome to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast with your host Nicole Rose from the Solidarity Apothecary. This is your place for all things plants and liberation. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast. Uh, This is another episode in the kind of politics of trauma series. Super grateful to have with me um, Saray from um, a group called Sins Invalid, who are an amazing kind of world leading disability justice organization. Um, He talks about the principles of disability justice, the kind of framework from, from the organization and how it's developed over the years through like tons of movement work, you know, why the movement must be led by disabled people of color and disabled queer and gender non-conforming people we talk about the kind of politics of trauma and how disability and disability justice relates to trauma and you know then we talk about what does nobody left behind mean right like what you know what have been our experiences of ableism in movement spaces Saray also um, shares a bit about his work with tarot and poetry and other amazing kind of creative action um yeah we you know we talk about how capitalism is you know the most disabling force we look at things like you know the intersections with climate justice for example yeah how you know how issues such as for example air quality relate to disability which relate to class which relate to poverty which relate to capitalism you know and how all of these things connect but yeah I think it's an amazing interview yeah lots of the themes we talk about are things that come up in the herbalism PTSD and traumatic stress course which is still open for enrollment for about another week you know I talk about disability justice in the course I talk about concepts like healthism um, and how you know we have certain socialized worldviews around health that just are not reflective of the kind of real world and the kind of diverse um, experiences that we have and how they're shaped by all different forms of oppression so anyway I think you will love the interview I think you will learn loads Um, I was so grateful for his time um, and I will put some things in the show notes some of the resources mentioned um, so that you can check them out and learn more okay thanks Hey, thank you so much for being on the call. Um, Please, can you introduce yourself, your pronouns and like anything like else you'd like to share about yourself, whether that's political affinities or projects you'd like to include? Sure. Um, Hi, I'm Saray Jarrell Johnson. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I am the social media and community engagement specialist at Sins and Valid. Um, I am an herbalist in training. I am a uh, tarot, Lennerman, and playing card reader at Collective Cardamancy and uh, a poet. I am a poet with a book of poetry coming out uh, next year and a book of poetry out already called Slingshot. Amazing. Like lots of lots of talents there. Um, I definitely want to get a copy of your poetry book. Um, so yeah, I, like Normally, like the guests I've had, I haven't had so many guests on the podcast, but they've mostly been kind of people I know in my networks, like here in the UK. Um, But yeah, it's unusual for me to have someone who I don't know much about. So yeah, I just want to say thank you again for being here. So for folks who haven't heard of Sins Invalid, can you share more about what you do and why? Sure. Um, Sins Invalid is a disability justice performance project. It is also, as I like to say, a think tank. We are thought leaders um, uh, around disability. Um, Initially, it was a performance project that celebrated um, disabled sex and sexuality. Um, It comes out of the efforts of the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force to be 
more um, accessible and inclusive to disabled people. Um, it formed in 2006, which it, I was not involved at the time I was in high school. Um, and has coined many of the terms that we, and also defined what disability justice means for in a lot of different spaces and spheres. Uh, it was founded by uh, Patricia Byrne, who is still our executive director, um, and Leroy Moore, who is the founder of Kerpop Nation. And um, yeah, I guess that's, I feel like that's an introduction. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's a great introduction. Um, so I've been like reading and like returning to the primer that was produced. It's really amazing. Um, called Skin, Tooth and Bone, The Basis of Our Movement is Our People, which is a disability justice primer. Um, and I know it was a collective effort of lots of different contributors who are mentioned in the book. And yeah, I just think it's an incredible resource. Um, and I know it's a really vast question, but I just wondered if you can share more about your framework of like, what is disability justice? Yeah, so uh, disability justice is generally um, described in 10 principles, right? So, um, and those 10 principles were developed by a collective, but I will read some now, um, if you don't mind. Perfect. So the first principle of disability justice is intersectionality, right? So uh, we understand that white supremacy, supported by capitalism, um, in addition to heteropatriarchy, transphobia, uh, trans antagonism, um, and ableism has rendered the majority of the world um, in a position to become disabled or uh, create and also creates disability, right? These intersecting identities don't just create oppression. They also um, limit the ways that our bodies uh, are able to thrive um, and also keeps us from getting the accommodations we need to thrive in the world, right? So um, we can't just look at ableism and, and expect to understand disability um, or the need for disability justice. We have to look um, also at racism, right? Anti-Blackness, anti-indigeneity. We have to look at um, classism, right? We have to look at the system of capitalism um, that is itself disabling. Um, leadership of the most impacted, right? So we believe that people who are experiencing oppression are experts on their own lives. This one is something that people sometimes have a hard time with, but it is extremely essential, which is an anti-capitalist politic. You cannot be a capitalist and also do disability justice. It's not possible. Um, and again, and that's because uh, capitalism is inherently disabling for our body minds. Um, and capitalism sees our bodies as worthless because they are not quote, you know, as productive as capitalism says they need to be in order to be worthwhile, necessary, and worthy of protection. Um, and so because our body minds are considered non-conforming, we have to be anti-capitalist. Um, commitment to cross-movement organizing, right? So um, disability justice is a movement of many movements. People are coming to disability justice from all kinds of movements, and they are found within disability justice. Recognizing wholeness, so um, knowing that we have worth outside of what we produce, right, uh, and undermining capitalist notions of productivity, um, and that everyone has a story, right? Everyone has a story. Everyone has a lot going on. People are more than just good or bad. They're more than one thing. Sustainability, this means for ourselves, our movements, and also the earth, right? Um, as the earth is stripped of its resources, more people will become disabled, right? More people will become displaced. Uh, more people will be traumatized by those experiences. So sustainability is an inherent part of the way that we experience disability justice. Um, it also means we move at a steady pace. We move at the pace of trust. We move at the pace uh, that we can, right? We move um, slow enough that everyone can keep up. Uh, with the understanding that people's body minds are different and need different things. 
commitment to cross-disability solidarity, and this is always a hard one, right? Um, is that like, when we say disabled, we mean all disabilities. We do mean all disabilities. And so we honor that insights of our community members with lots of different disabilities, um, understanding that isolation doesn't help anyone get free, right? It undermines our collective liberation. Interdependence, um, no one is independent. We are all relying on each other. We are all relying on the earth, right? We're relying on um, systems to get our needs met and we are making those systems or we are uh, barred from, from creating those systems uh, after our needs or allowing those systems or asking those systems to meet our needs. Um, and so we have to depend on our communities and each other and uh, practice collective care. Collective access. So as Black, Brown, queer, trans, uh, disabled people, we are bringing flex uh, flexibility and nuance um, that go beyond what, you know, abled folks think are is normal or necessary, right? Um, uh, just so we can be together. Because being together is one of the ways that we make sure we can make a freer world. And finally, collective liberation. Um, because no one is free until we're all free. That's Fannie Lou Hamer, um, disabled icon, Black disabled icon, Black disabled woman icon, right? Um, and uh, it's only by being together um, and fighting for everyone's freedom that we can ever have the things that we need. So uh, I think that that's, that's what I'll say about it. Yeah, that's a super thorough introduction. And I, yeah, I really adore the principles um, in the primer. Just a side note, do you have do you have a favorite one? I know they're all really interconnected, but is there any one of them that kind of gives you goosebumps, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, collective liberation <laughs> is the one that, like, it lights me up, right? Um, but I think that was, to me, the one that's, like, really, or really the two that are closest to my heart are anti-capitalist politic, right? Like, there is just no future for disabled people under capitalism. There's not. Um, it is not, it like creates so much disability. It accommodates almost none, really none. And in addition to that, it wears our bodies out and ensures that we will become disabled and that when we become disabled, we will be discarded, right? So under capitalism, disabled people cannot live full lives. There will not be disability justice under capitalism. And then sustainability, right? Because like our bodies and the earth, like we're all inextricably tied. So without that sustainability moving at us, a speed that, you know, works for everyone, but also like not consuming all of the earth's resources, right? Um, not pushing the earth to the brink of, of disaster, right? Um, taking the earth seriously, um, investing in the earth, like believing in the earth, resourcing the earth, like these are things that are essential in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, I think they're all, um, they're all like super powerful. And yeah, like I think seeing capitalism as this like system that is like inherently disabling is like really powerful like especially with what we've witnessed in the most recent pandemic um so yeah I can see like that you know like a real major kind of present beautiful thread in the work is like intersectionality like you mentioned and how all bodies are confined by ability race gender sexuality class nation state religion and more and we cannot separate them it's from the primer um, so yeah, why do you think the, like, why must the disability justice movement be led by disabled people of color and disabled queer and non and gender non-conforming people? Because of the principle of intersectionality um, and the leadership of the most impacted. So when you're living life um, as a black person or another multi -margin multiply marginalized person, right? It's not like there's one disabling condition that you need to be mindful of. Like there are lots of different 
Um, and I don't mean conditions like disabling condition, like I have lupus, right? Like, sure, like lupus is a disabling condition. But um, I mean, the conditions under which you live, right? So like, if you're living in poverty, like you will be more subject to things like, um, you know, poor air quality, right? Particulate, uh, particulate matter in your air, just breathing it. So then when something like COVID comes around, you're way more likely to die or be very sick because you've been breathing in this air that's unfit for human consumption. Um, if you live, uh, you know, near a stream that's been polluted for so long or, you know, well water that's been polluted for so long, you're drinking water or you live in, you know, somewhere like Flint, you're drinking water that's unfit for human con consumption, right? So you will be more likely to become disabled than other people. I'm per personally from a place called, um, called Piscataway, New Jersey, um, which was the site of um, a, a military camp encampment. So Camp Kilmer. And we found that it left a lot of forever chemicals in our, in our water. And I do know a lot of people who I grew up with who are very sick. Um, and I'm certainly not the only one, um, you know, who has had these experiences, right? Like, as people who live on multiple margins, um, we are the ones who are chosen to become disabled first. It's not that it's not disabling to everyone, but we are forced onto the worst pieces of, you know, or pieces of land that have been, you know, rapidly stripped of their resources and their abilities to heal. Um, we have been left without food that's fit for human consumption. We have been pushed into jobs that break down our bodies. Um, and we are denied care once those, uh, the, you know, negative effects of those things take their course. So um, leadership of the most impacted means that we're listening to people who are, you know, living more of those margins more of the time. Um, and also being responsive when, you know, things change, right? Like when, you know, for one question, someone might be the most impacted and on another question, they might not be the most impacted. So it really is not just, you know, black, brown. I mean, it is going to fall that way, right? But it isn't just like, this group of people should always be the people first consulted in matters of disability, right? It really depends on what we're talking about, right? And sometimes, because sometimes that category shifts, other times it doesn't. Um, you know, who is the most impacted, right? And and also the metrics that we determine that are complex, right? It, it can't just be like the government on the census is saying this, right? Because it's more than that. Um, and so it really is um, a mandate to listen closely. Wow, yeah, that was an amazing response. And it really reminded me of um, a tour I did back in 2017 with someone from the US from a group, I don't know if you've heard of them, called Fight Toxic Prisons. Um, and they were organizing against like prison expansion and yeah, we were kind of like comparing notes of, um, you know, them wanting to build prisons in the UK, like on, you know, like heavily polluted sites, like radioactive sites. And, um, the friend was saying like how, yeah, like how prisons are like literally built on like landfill sites and stuff in the U S and yeah, just talking about toxicity and obviously race and class and yeah, it was just, yeah, like, you know, it should be shocking, but it's not right because it's so systemic and everywhere, but it is still shocking. Like when you really deeply think about it, like you said, when you kind of lean in and listen to it. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for answering that question. Um, so this podcast series is like largely focusing on like the politics of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've like interviewed some friends about like trauma and addiction and chronic illness and class and um, like age trauma and youth oppression. And, you know, there's like a ton of interviews in the pipeline, but I just wondered if you could speak to how kind of disability and disability justice in general, like relates to trauma. Sure. Um, yeah. And before that, you know, it should shock us, 
You know, like I, I think that like one of the things about capitalism that is so antithetical to disability justice is that like we don't have time to be shocked and that we build up a tolerance for these horrors, for, for like literal horrors, right? Like where it's just like, because it's an onslaught, it's constantly coming. And so we're like, well, I have to brace myself. I have to go to work, right? So I can't be too traumatized. I have to go to work. But that trauma still compounds in the body, right? And in, and you know, in the body, in the air, right? It, it compounds. It, it, there's no way to get away from it just by keep on keeping on, right? So yeah, for real, 100%. Yeah. That's just one thing I would say before I, I moved on. But, you know, for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself, uh, you know, I'm systemic lupus. And so systemic lupus, and in addition to other disabilities, but um, I have systemic lupus erythematosus. And systemic lupus erythematosus is a disease that disproportionately affects Black, you know, uh, folks who produce or inject estrogen. It is an estrogen linked uh, somehow, because we just don't know that much about it, even though it is an ancient disease. Um, yeah, so it affects a, pop, a, a population, a large swath of a population that people don't really care about, right? So um, there's already that trauma. It takes a really long time to get diagnosed. That's also trauma. But one thing that people don't always talk about about lupus is that you can have the potential to have lupus, but lupus is brought out or made more likely to manifest into a negative, uh, you know, series of symptoms by trauma. So it makes sense that it would disproportionately affect Black people um, and also folks who are experiencing the full force of um, misogynist or transmisogynist uh, and or um, misogynist and or transmisogynist oppression um, because the level of care that they'll be getting is just not good. It's not good. And because you're going to be from a population that doctors are more likely to discard than think they can profit from. So there's that. And also the fact that trauma itself is disabling, right? Um, Sure, like trauma, addiction, um, all of these things uh, can be disabling. And so um, when we think of trauma and disability justice, like, well, traumatized folks, folks who are experiencing like the mental illness side of trauma are disabled, right? So it's not really like, how do they correspond or how do they connect? Um, It's really more, and also disabled people are more likely to experience violence. So are more likely to be traumatized around experiences of violence, sexual abuse, much, much more common among disabled people um, than, you know, the general population. So when we say, you know, how is it related? It's like, it's probably easier to say how it's not. Um, so yeah. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. And, um, sorry, I'm just sort of like not standing to silence, but it's like, yeah, it, it is true. Like how, yeah, trauma is disabling in and of itself and how, yeah, the kind of distribution of trauma as oppression will trigger like, you know, something I talk about in this herbalism, PTSD and, um, traumatic stress course is how much trauma shapes the body, how much it can trigger, chronic illness you know how kind of long-term patterns of being like highly activated in kind of survival fight or flight like sympathetic nervous system states can Mm -hmm. you know contribute to to chronic disease um but yeah you're you know you're completely right about how you know disabled people are more likely to experience violence and yeah that was really clear to me like my kind of background is like as a former prisoner and um I mostly organize around prisoner support now and yeah it's just so like unevenly 
felt of who is in prison, if that makes sense, like whether that's someone there because of like ADHD and like, you know, something like that. And then also just like the aging population in prison and how many like physically disabled people are in prison. And it's just, yeah, it's just an absolute <laughs> shit show, um, you know, which is created by design. Right. And like you said, like it's easier to talk about how they're not connected so yeah, one of the themes that um, stands out in the work is this concept of like nobody left behind, which I think is a really beautiful statement and commitment. And um, yeah, I guess for me, like I've, you know, I've been organizing in different movements for nearly 20 years and it's kind of really clear that like people are left behind, right? Especially with the pandemic. And I know, you know, I really find that movement spaces are often like super entrenched with ableism you know, and it just brings me a lot of sadness and anger. And, you know, I really appreciate how the primer is full of like practical, like access suggestions and bullet points of like things that groups and organizers can implement. Um, but I just wondered if you could speak to your like own experiences of ableism in movement spaces and kind of like what needs to be transformed. Sure. And I'll be vaguer about this because it's, you know, a whole long story. Um, yeah, I think that at a certain point, folks on the left will have to ask themselves if they believe what they say they believe. And I think that no one left behind is, you know, it's something that we say in disability justice. And also, yeah, again, we have to ask ourselves if we believe what we say we believe. Um, or if we're electing certain groups of people to be left behind in the name of the whole. Now, I think that some of this is very literal, right? So, um, during disasters, disabled people are very often not saved. Um, or in some disasters, like in Hurricane Katrina, um, in hospitals or some hospitals during Hurricane Katrina, they straight up killed people they could move. So, um, yeah, like being left behind, being abandoned in emergency situations is something that disabled people, particularly wheelchair users and other folks um, with, you know, mobility um, access needs that go beyond, um, what people are willing to provide, right? Um, so people, uh, for whom they may need, you know, uh, 24-hour care, um, or they, you know, may be on a floor, like a, a higher floor, uh, of a building than, uh, an elevator might be available for, right? Uh, there aren't good plans to take everyone with us in the case of an emergency. And with climate, you know, crisis, it is going to present even more emergencies. And, and that is a state of urgency for an emergency for sins invalid and, you know, disability justice more generally, because, you know, um, it does feel like sometimes on the left, like a lot of slogans are very symbolic, right? Like nobody left behind in theory. Um, but like, what does it mean for nobody to be left behind? In fact, what would it actually take to make sure that the disabled folks who are in hospitals can be saved in times of crisis? And what would it look like to push policy to change around making sure that that was something that could occur? Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Okay, so yeah, like you mentioned at the start, but many people might not realize that um, SINs Invalids activities, you know, are there as a performance project as well, right? Which, um, mm -hmm. in your words, incubates and celebrates artists with disabilities, centralizing centralizing artists of color and LGBTQ slash gender variant artists as communities who have been historically marginalized. And I just wondered, like, have you been part of any of these performances? Um, I know you mentioned at the beginning that you're also a poet. 
So I just wondered if you could speak to how these kind of feed into your disability justice work and what they mean to you, like these kinds of creative practices. Yeah, no, I have not been a part of any of the shows. Um, No, I have not. But uh, yeah, the performance project is central to SIDS, right? Like uh, we, our shows are legendary. um, And in addition to that, they are different from what most people have seen before. There are certainly non-SIDS affiliated performers who are doing wonderful and amazing work. Um, And additionally, uh, we really do pull together folks who have just artistic practices that really shift and shape what people are expecting when it, when they think of dis- uh, disability and performance, right? And I think that that's in part because so much of disability art and disability performance has been made by abled-led projects, right? Like, so when people think of disability and art, disability and performance, they often think of things that are being organized and, you know, orchestrated by non-disabled people, um, particularly caretakers of disabled people. And if they don't think of that, they're probably thinking of disabled people like Britney Spears under conservatorship, right? So what do, what does disabled performance look like when disabled people are free to choose when it what it looks like? when they control the narrative. And I think that, you know, since Invalid shows, they really do answer those questions. And, you know, we've been doing shows since I believe 2007, 2008, could be 2006. Um, I think it might be 2006, but again, um, I was not involved with Sins Invalid at the time. So I do hope that Patty will forgive me for uh, my numbers era due to the fact that I'm not great with numbers. But um, yeah, it is, it's something you just got to see. So I do encourage everyone to, you know, buy one of our shows, take a look, uh, support us on YouTube, you know, take a look at our work because whatever you're thinking it is, I don't know that it's that, right? Um, It is more and better and bigger and brighter and more beautiful than anything you can imagine if you haven't seen it. And yes, I am a poet. I am a poet. I'm proud to be a poet. Yeah. Tell me about your poetry. Sure, I'll tell you about my poetry. I'm an experimental formalist, right? So I think that like the form of a poem, the shape of a poem acts as the body. And so um, form can tell us more about what disability means than I think sometimes hitting it dead on. And it's not because of what I can say, it's what because of what people can receive. And so for someone who understands themselves as abled, no matter whether they're disabled or not, right? Someone who perceives themselves as being abled um, and thinks that they'll be abled forever, isn't really going to respond if I'm like, yo, like I'm in pain all the time. Like lupus means I'm in pain 100% of the time. Like I'm doing this, I'm doing other things. I am in at least a three at all times of pain. It's not going to be relevant for them. They're not going to have any, they're going to other it. You know what I mean? And I experience it as a trans person as well, right? Like people can't really understand what it means to live your life. And art is the act of trying to create connection across difference in addition to other things, right? But one of the things that it can do is create connection across a difference. And so people have to understand. And so that's something I admire about like experimental artists, including myself, is that like sometimes the only way to make yourself understood is to resist being understood in a logical sense. Um, Yeah. And I think that that's also something that I find true for myself as, you know, a disabled person whose relationship to being, I guess, quote, you know, quote unquote, physically disabled, it changes, it shifts. Like there have been times in my life where I've walked with a cane. There's been times in my life where I was unable to walk very far, very quickly at all, right? Um, I remember the first time someone called me a gimp. I was probably, uh, I must've been 14, 15, 
right? And I just lost my ability to walk without a limp. And people said I was faking, right? And I'm in excruciating pain at that time. Um, and it's just not something that people can really understand or integrate into their worldview, like that somebody's body is a shapeshifter and they're like constantly in flux, constantly changing. And that not only can they not be predicted by others, like they can't always predict themselves, right? So it is within my work that I can really hold those contradictions and and really think about like, what does that mean? What else is that like? Like, how can I make that felt through language? Um, yeah. Wow, amazing. Like, I think, yeah, that's that's a really beautiful way of framing it. And you mentioned you've got like a a book published or like an anthology published. I have several books. Um, and I have, okay, so my book that is out right, well, one of the books that's out right now, my book of poetry that's out right now, um, is called Slingshot. It's on Nightboat Books. Um and it is autobiographical uh, and also biomythographical, biomythographical, um, biomythography. And uh, it is formal poetry, serial poetry, um, some free verse for sure. And um, it centers on climate crisis and what that means for individual people uh, as seen through uh, the story of a mother and her son. Uh, both of the people are based on me. Okay, I should say that uh, because there's been community in the past. Um, and I have a book coming out um, and that book won the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Poetry in 2020. And um, I have a book coming out called Watch Night, which is a book of elegies and a continuation of that story. Um, and that's also about climate crisis and climate displacement of Black people in the United States. And um, it has won the James Laughlin Second Book of Poetry Prize from the Academy of American Poets. Wow, amazing. And I will put the links to these in the show notes um, so that people can, can order a copy. Um, you mentioned climate crisis a couple of times, and I, I saw it was also a theme in the in the primer, in the Disability Justice book. Um, yeah, could you just like speak to that a little bit of like how how they're connected, like disability justice and um, like the climate crisis? Yeah, uh, well, climate crisis is going to create a lot of disability. And when and as really as um, we see increased climate migration, um, we know that that will be based, you know, who is able to migrate, who is accepted into a different country, right? It will be based, um, at least in the part of the world in which I live, I live in the United States, um, on whether or not they're disabled, right? Um, you know, and also, you know, with the crises of, um, the border, borders, right? Um, and I don't mean like crisis at the border where people are migrating. I mean, like the fact that there are borders is a crisis, right? Um, it is unjust um, to just erect a border um, and decide who can come and who cannot come um, and anti-Indigenous and a million other things. Um, and also bad for the land, right? Uh, bad for the land, bad for the earth. Um, and... Also, as I said before, disabled people are often not saved during times of disaster. So there's that connection. And additionally, right, um, the byproducts of climate change are not just disabling, but they're extremely deadly. So, um, and they're not spread around evenly, right? We can see that rich people are ready to leave the literal planet um, in order to uh, continue colonizing, first of all, and also to evade the effects of climate change they made. So there's a lot going on. 
Um, I think I said it in other parts of this interview, but um, yes, you know, disabled people are going to be the people who experience the effects of climate change and already are, you know, climate uh, crisis first and worse. So I'll leave it there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and I heard at the beginning in your introduction that you mentioned you called yourself a trainee herbalist. And I just wondered, as this is a herbal medicine show, even though I, yeah, end up talking about politics much more than I do herbs, even though they're, you know, extremely connected. Um, well, completely connected. But I just, yeah, like, I just, I'm just curious to hear, um, yeah, what your relationship is to plant medicine and where you're at on that journey. Yeah. So I did levels one and two at Sacred Vibes. Um, and right now, uh, although I did not finish the program, um, but I'm finishing a program at Rootwork Herbals up in Ithaca. Um, so after that, I'll need to apprentice. And then I can say that I am an herbalist, kind of, right? A baby herbalist at that time. Um, so I'm like right in the middle of my training. I, you know, towards, I'm like, I would say I'm like completing the second third of it. Um, and, uh, I uh, am working in an ancestral or well, tradition of care and, um, of plant relationship with plants and plate or relationship with the earth. And because of that, um, I'm studying, studying bioregional herbalism. I'm from the woods, um, a very, like a now very gentrified wood, uh, woods by, um, a now very polluted river, but, um, I also live in the woods now and, it's just a different way of living near your medicine, right? Like, and also it just like gives you a different level of investment in the earth when it's like, if it floods, I'm not going to have electricity. And if I don't have electricity, I'm not going to have water, right? <laughs> so I'm invested um, in the health of the, you know, and the, in the happiness, right? Of the rivers that I live near and the health and the happiness of the land that I live um, with, right? Um, of the animals that I live around, right? Our, our fate is so tied. And so really wanting a relationship, a close relationship with the plants of the region in which I was born and to want to um, be part of the group of people that cares for this, you know, for the land and like for our air and make sure that we have a, a livable life ahead of us. Um, but also I'm a mushroom person, right? Like I'm very much a mushroom person, um, not just psychedelic, but like certainly also in tropic. Um, I have a relationship with dandelion. I have a relationship with reishi. Um, yeah, I, I have a relationship with, uh, I guess this year, yarrow, a lot of yarrow and also a lot of catnip. So um, there, you know, that is part of the religion that I practice, but it is also a part of, um, yeah, like my commitment to study. It's part of my practice uh, as an intuitive as well, um, but it's also part of my practice of, uh, of disability justice, and anti-capitalism. It was like really hard to not make like a fungi joke. <laughs> like, you can go for it. Yeah, no, I am. I, 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 don't know, I don't know if I am a fungi. That's the thing. I think I'm kind of fun if you like boring stuff, but like, um, no, I am fun. I'm fun. I love, I love mushroom nerds. Like, I feel like I'm like too full of plants that like I can't get into like mushrooms just like blow my mind too much that I just like can't hack it does that make sense like it but makes total sense and I wanted to be like a flower person like I really wanted that for me like when we like um you do a plant walk and and also and honestly I did a plant, plant walk both at sacred vibes and I you know I'm doing one now and um root work and I feel like the closest that I can really get to being a flower person is dandelion 
You know what I mean? And I've always loved, dandelion is the plant that brought me into this path for sure. When I was very, very young, it was like dandelion. I was like, what? Wow. And it just blew my mind, right? Dandelion, um, how accessible and how powerful a dandelion is, right? Like, and the dandelion announces its power, right? Like it, it's, it's never hiding it. A dandelion is like, no, you can pull me out. I'm going to grow back. I'm going to grow back tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to be amazed at how quickly I grow back. But mushrooms are our ancestors or like elders, right? Like mushrooms are so old. They're older than us by a mile. They're like, honestly, they're like gods, you know? Like it's very weird what a mushroom is. And it's weird how much they can do. Like it gives alien, you know what I mean? Like it's just not comprehensible. And so like, it's no surprise that they do what they do to our brain because it's like kind of, it may be the reason our brains are like they are at all, right? So those are the things I think of when I think of mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I'm a mushroom person. Yeah, no, they're amazing. And like, I was, whenever I get interviewed on Herbal Podcast, they always ask me to be like, oh, what's your favorite plant? And I like wince because there's just like so many. And I'm so happy that you mentioned um, dandelion and yarrow and catnip. And yeah, dandelion, I think you're right. It's got this amazing energy like it's one of the like main herbs in this prisoner herbal book that I wrote um which goes out to prisoners like around the world um and I think it is this like gateway plan like I think it it's almost like one of its reasons for being is just to be like yo (laughs) I exist like come and like learn my you know learn about my medicine um wow like best of luck on your herbal journey like I'm so yeah I'm so happy and I think yeah, I think plants give us like so much strength, like especially in a kind of capitalist society. Um, so yeah, for people who are listening, like how, you know, like where can people find your work? Um, and also like how can people support um, Sins Invalid and the disability justice movement in general? Yeah, well, you can find our work at sinsinvalid.org um, and you can always donate, like watch one of our shows, come to a workshop, follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube and um, make sure, you know, you're advocating for disability justice in your everyday life. Like be there for the people who are disabled in your life. Wear a mask, right? Um, vaccine <laughs> and the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, ongoing COVID pandemic. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. And sorry, Absolutely. Last question. I also saw on your website and you mentioned it in in the introduction as well about tarot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know for sure that like, you know, 99% of people who listen to this podcast will also be loving, you know, working with tarot cards and stuff. So I just wondered if you wanted to plug um, your tarot work because you do, you do readings, right? As well. I do. I I do. I, I do a lot of teaching and I also do um, readings, of course. Um, I read Tarot Lennerman in playing cards. So, um, yes, cardamancy. Um, and you can find me online at collectivecardamancy.com or collectivecardamancy um, on Instagram and Saray Drill Johnson on TikTok. Um, so, yeah, um, if you're interested in anti capitalist readings of tarot um, and cardamancy rooted in Black liberation um, and uh, Black liberation traditions, including hoodoo, then you will like my work. And if you're not into those things, you really won't. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything before we finish that, you know, I, I haven't asked that you'd like to share or anything we've missed together? 
Follow us on YouTube. Um, if you're curious about what Sins of, Valid work, uh, Sins of Valid's work looks like, um, I really encourage you to follow us on YouTube. Um, follow us on Instagram if you're on there too. Um, but yeah, keep in touch with our work. And oh, and we have a free uh, email course called Crip Crash Course that takes you through just thinking about disability justice and how it impacts our work and uh, your work and your movements. Um, and it gets delivered directly to your uh, inbox for three days for free. Amazing. That is a great resource. And yeah, I'll put all the links in the show notes. But I just want to say again that I think the primer is a really fantastic resource. Um, <clears throat> and yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. That was really amazing. I really appreciate um, your flexibility with moving the show around and stuff. And yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. Thank you. And um, have a good day. Thanks so much for listening to the Frontline Herbalism podcast. You can find the transcript, the links, all the resources from the show at solidarityapothecary.org forward slash podcast.